0: You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, recorded at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, where we offer courses, events, and more for intellectually curious adults age 50 and better. To learn more about our program, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now, let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supack, as she sits down for a conversation with one of the people who makes our program so special. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Dr. Pankaj Jain, an associate professor at UNT's Department of Philosophy and Religion, a former faculty member of North Carolina State University, Rutgers. Keene and New Jersey City. Dr. Jane is also a research affiliate with Harvard's University Pluralism Project and a scholar in residence with Green Faith, an interfaith coalition for the environment that works with houses of worship, religious schools, and people of all faiths to help them become better environmental stewards. Dr. Jane has a diverse and extensive educational and professional background. He holds a Ph.D. from the University of Iowa and an M.A. from Columbia University, both in religious studies. And, as he puts it, in a previous life, he earned a B.S. in computer science from India, working as a software engineer in India and in New Jersey. He is now a prolific writer, having authored the award-winning book Dharma and the Ecology of Hindu Communities, Sustenance and Sustainability, among countless other scholarly books and articles. He has contributed to many well-known media outlets, including the Huffington Post, the Washington Post, NBC, Fox Morning News, the National Geographic Channel, and the History Channel. This, by the way, is a very abbreviated list of his large volume of accomplishments. Dr. Jane has a strong interest in connecting ancient practices with contemporary issues. Welcome, Dr. Jane.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: You have an extremely impressive background in your teachings of religious studies, as well as a very novel incorporation of faith based institutions in teaching people to safeguard the environment. What would you say is your main area of focus now?
1: The focus remains the culture and ecology, religion and ecology remains my focus. I'm also working on a, on a monograph on Indian-Americans in this part of the world, South America and North America. I'm uh, also editing an encyclopedia of Hinduism and another project on uh, editing a volume. An
0: encyclopedia yeah. of Hinduism.
1: Yeah,
0: yes. I'm sure I know it covers Hinduism, but yeah. can you tell us a little bit more yeah. about that?
1: All the kinds of basic concepts and basic terms, basic philosophies within Hinduism. So there will be an entry on every kind of little topic or or important topic like karma and dharma, yoga, uh, what's the Hindu idea of meditation and uh, vegetarianism or many other uh, historical aspects philosophical aspects
0: That sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. When do you yeah. expect that to be completed and published?
1: It'll take I think one more year. Do <laughs> I'm you still collecting entries from different scholars from across the world. It's
0: a huge, and topic. It's a huge
1: task. It's coming from Springer publisher in Europe.
0: That's so. exciting. Mm-hmm. I was also very interested in reading about the Green Faith community. Yes. What an interesting yes. organization that is. Yes. Has your focus changed through the years and your involvement with Green Faith?
1: No, it remains fairly uniform across now more than a decade that I've been working with them. We still do periodically some webinars on different aspects of cultures and religions and as how they relate with ecology. Uh, environmental ethics and Hinduism, environmental ethics and Jainism, Buddhism and other cultures. We also work together to develop what could be the energy ethics, how we connect with fossil fuel and what do different religious theologies, how, what they interpret these uh, fossil fuels and how we should minimize our carbon footprint. Because all cultures, all religions do teach that we our consumption, our accumulation of resources should be minimal. We should not be wasteful about the way we connect with, with ecology. Those are some of the aspects we keep we do still work together. And
0: I suppose also you go through people's houses of faith in Mm -hmm. order to connect the way their faith actually connects their responsibility to taking care of the earth that they live in. Yes. Yes. What a wonderful novel approach, or perhaps it's not novel, it's novel to me, but what a wonderful approach.
1: Yeah, we're still trying to develop. We did have... Uh, There used to be a grant from Encore. There's a big energy company in Dallas area called Encore. Mm -hmm. They had a grant where uh, the place of worship could apply for this grant and they could change their age-old energy devices and utility machines, HVAC units, for example. So there are at least two temples who got that grant through my intervention with working with them. So one Hindu temple and one Jain temple, they both got thousands of dollars of grant from this energy company and they were very happy to replace their very old HVAC unit with this new very energy efficient unit, so cut down the fossil fuel consumption, cut down the carbon footprint of the temple of the, of these two temples now, unfortunately that grant is is gone now, but we need such, such kind of initiatives where as part of the corporate social responsibility these big energy companies or fossil fuel companies can provide these ways to minimize at least houses of Worship to cut down their energy consumption and even houses.
0: Does Green Faith work primarily with institutions, or do they work in educating individuals?
1: Both. Uh, they have they promote solar energy, for example, in New Jersey in a big way. They conduct these educational webinars where practicing Hindus can be reminded of their own traditional ecological teachings. For example, to you know to remain vegetarians, for example, because mm-hmm. Hinduism treats uh, even animals, even reptiles, and rivers, and mountains, and Mother Earth. As divine, as, as goddess, Mother Earth as goddess in some parts of some theologies of, of Hinduism, for example. So it's more and more uh, how these teachings connect with ecology is the way Green Faith works with several scholars of Islam, Judaism, Christianity, different denominations of Christianity and how they can uh, reinterpret their teachings in the ecological in an ecological way so that every tradition, every culture, every religion can be a better steward for Mother Earth and how we can, whatever planet Earth we still have, we still have natural resources and, and things, we need to save them.
0: Things need to be done now, now and, quickly, tree, and quickly. I remember at one point hearing about a health-based initiative called Blue mm-hmm. Zone that worked to educate people on health, both mental and physical health and mm-hmm. health of communities. And one of the ways they found that was very very effective was to go through all the different facets of the community, Mm -hmm. the schools, the civic areas, and then also in the houses of worship. So I think that's just a wonderful way to communicate to people and to make a connection of the responsibility that people have. Do you get a very tremendous response from that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, there is definitely great uh, awareness. Uh, people like to see, especially young people like to see that their traditional wisdom that is being passed on from generations, it's still relevant, how it can be made more relevant for contemporary times, For, for example, health issues and health of our own bodies and minds, but also health of our planet, how our traditions can be reinterpreted. So that we take care of both, you know, what is good for our health is also good for Mother Earth.
0: The connection of it all.
1: Right, exactly. So, for example, many scientific researches have come up recently by United Nations and even by United States government and so on, where where they say that meat consumption is one of the top three reasons for climate change. And also, especially red meat is very bad for our own health.
0: (laughs) I had actually interviewed some scientists at one Mm -hmm. point on Mm -hmm. climate change, and it was very interesting to me that they said the energy consumption that goes into meat processing, you want to talk a little bit about that? I had not heard of that before, so maybe many of our listeners aren't aware of why it helps to shop local and it helps actually to maintain a vegetarian diet. Yes, yes.
1: So there are now several uh, surveys have been done, researches have, have been done, where they have shown that the what we call as lungs of our planet are the Amazonian forests in South America, right? Now, South American forests are being destroyed for several uh, decades now because those forests get replaced by cattle ranchers. So they grow food for animals. Now, animals need these food. Uh, this food but animals are needed to be uh, grown for human consumption. Cattle, right? Cattle becomes beef. So the food that is growing uh, on the at the cost of the Amazonian forests is being raised for cattle and cattle is raised for us, for our beef, beef consumption. So by our meat consumption, by our red meat consumption especially, we are causing the destruction of the lungs of our planet, the Amazonian forests. And there are many reasons. So that's one big big way we are affecting Directly affecting the forests in the Amazonian area the, in South America, number one, number two, as you already said, energy consumption to sustain this massive population of cattle across north and South America, then energy consumption in transfer of the meat from different parts of the world to our grocery stores, then the water consumption for the cattle to raise them you know in all the population problem that we hear sometimes that population in Asia especially is, is huge and that mm-hmm. causes a lot of a lot of consumption of a lot of natural resources. But more than the human population, it is the cattle population really that is the biggest you know, one of the biggest reasons for climate change. Because is cattle that right? needs, cattle needs cattle needs food. Cattle needs water. Cattle needs energy. Where does it come from? It comes from when we wipe off Amazonian forests and we grow food there for the cattle and, and we transfer water, enormous amounts of water from one place to another. And we transform meat itself from one place to the other. And there are these health issues. Several times meat recalls happen and so on. So it's a a growing health risk for our own bodies and minds, but also growing health risk for our planet.
0: Very interesting. I had never heard that before. mm, I didn't know that aspect. Now, a little shift, but not Mm -hmm. entirely. Mm -hmm. You teach at the university, uh, UNT. And what do you teach at UNT?
1: I teach several courses such as World Religions. We Mm -hmm. call it, we still have this old title called Great Religions. Great Religions. (laughs) They're all great. Every religion is great, but (laughs) we cannot teach them all. So We we pick some that are most widely practiced traditions across the world. Uh So that I teach uh, four or five times I've taught that also online I teach that course. Then I teach uh, uh, philosophies and religions of Asia, so India, China, Japan. Hmm. That I've taught at graduate level for PhD students and uh, master's students uh, once. Interesting. Then I've taught uh, both undergrad level and grad level, Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism, and ecology, how they connect with with environmental ethics. Then just ancient Indian philosophy and religion and modern Indian philosophy and religion. I used to be in anthropology department also before I became full-time in philosophy and religion. There I taught people and culture of South Asia, anthropology of religion, how different religious traditions are actually practiced on the ground. Uh, such as Native Americans, for example, mm-hmm. who do not have any scriptures, written scriptures, but they are also very serious and interesting ways they practice their traditions. So even those are studied by anthropologists, because even though they don't have written scriptures, but they practice their life itself is their religion. There is no right. such word, there is no separate word for religion, for example, in Native Americans, uh, and in India, China, Japan, cultures of India, China and Japan. But that doesn't mean that that they do not have religious life. They, so their, their life way of is, life is their, their way religion. Of life, their, life, their entire life, every part of their life, music, dance, food, health practices, all of those are connected with their religious traditions.
0: How it marvelous is, is marvelous. that? Yes. Is the course that you teach on the great religions mm-hmm. at UNT similar to the one that you offer at ALI?
1: Oh, only will be just one session, one or two sessions. So it will be a condensed so, version of just one presentation showing very high level overview of how Western religions or Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, how they three compare with the other non-Abrahamic traditions, including those of India, China, Japan, and Native Americans.
0: So do you talk about the commonalities of all of these great religions? Yes,
1: similarity and differences.
0: I knew a very wonderful monk. Um, He used to say that God is too big to be captured in one religion. Yeah, I think so.
1: <laughs> that would make sense to me. Also, yeah, sure.
0: So what mm-hmm. drew you to become involved with Oli?
1: Yeah, there was an invitation from my chair that Oli is looking for instructors. And I think there is such, such a need to spread awareness about so-called foreign religions. Yeah. <laughs> Traditions that are still new to this part of the country, especially. There are now, I think, about 1% of our entire population of America 1% of that is now Hindus or slash Indians, 1%, probably 2% Muslims, 1% mm-hmm. or 2% Jews. But I think still very less is known about those traditions. Most of the information that we have is about Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus is really from negative stereotypes from the media. right? So to help it get the real information, academic level information about these diverse traditions, is the purpose of my going and giving presentations on world cultures. What
0: do you find people's reactions are when they find out more about the different religions?
1: Somewhat surprised, somewhat aha moments. Some might be already doing something similar that have indirectly might have come from Hindu or Buddhist traditions, for example, idea of meditation and yoga. Everybody does yoga.
0: Exactly, exactly. But where
1: it came from, that, that connection is not... Enough highlighted in. There is the the biggest, the most popular magazine in America is called as Yoga Journal on yoga. I've, right?
0: I'm very familiar with it. But actually you will
1: never find even once any mention of India or Hinduism in that magazine. Why is that?
0: Why is that? Why
1: it? is the source never being acknowledged when yoga is practiced by thousands? It's a multi-billion-dollar industry. Yoga is a multi-billion-dollar industry in America. But, but but it is being done as if it was, you know, it suddenly just appeared in America. It came from India. It's like
0: going out for a run or something, <laughs> yeah, like, doing yoga. There's yeah. a little bit more behind it, exactly. is there not?
1: Exactly. And also, it's not just physical postures that we are doing. There's a philosophy behind it. There is a science behind it. There's a cognitive science. There is neuroscience behind yoga. The breath control, the breathing mechanism behind yoga the mental control uh, behind yoga, all of that is integrated. It's an integral yoga, it, it's an integrated system.
0: Dr. There, Jane, I see an Ali <laughs> course evolving here as you speak. I would be your first person to sign up.
1: <laughs> there is a lot to be, lot is hidden behind. <laughs> I see, name yoga. <laughs>
0: even when yeah. you sign up for yoga, you yeah, don't right. hear right, that. You right. don't often hear that. Now, perhaps mm-hmm. it would be a little bit uh, disconcerting for some people, but not when they truly understand right, right, the right. sources and that. Do you yes. find that people are surprised when they find out the commonalities in the great religions throughout the world?
1: I, uh, yeah, I, I do focus on both, on, on similarities and differences. So mm-hmm. I don't want to make everything sound like as if all religions are the same. No, they're of not same. Yeah. They are very. They, they can be very different. They are, they are very different. Yeah, it, sometimes it could be overwhelming <laughs> with so much information. I'm doing my, my duty as an instructor, as a professor, to you know to educate people as much as I can. Is
0: it a popular class in the university? Yes,
1: uh, I get. Uh, we do get 150 students every time we sign 150 up.
0: 150 students. Time for wow, great,
1: great religions, yes.
0: Do you see an advantage to interfaith dialogue? to becoming familiar with the religions of the peoples throughout definitely.
1: the world oh yes definitely that's uh, interfaith information or interfaith knowledge is one of the most important educational focus that we all should have especially even at K12 stage i'm very uh, surprised and you know sometimes uh, uh, sad that up to high school level our students know very little about other traditions and, and probably no, because in the name of ch- separation of church and state we have completely stopped learning about other cultures, religious traditions, which is a very, there is no difference that they make between religion and culture, for example, in many cultures in Asia and Africa. And yet we, uh, we have in some school districts in our own neighborhood, for example, in Coppola ISD in Dallas area, 50% of students are of Asian heritage. 50%. Half of the school population out of 12,000 students, 6,000 students are Asian heri- really? of Asian heritage. And yet the teachers are only 2% of teachers are of Asian heritage. There is very less uh, emphasis on teaching about Asian cultures in in those schools, for example. And the story is similar in Frisco and Plano and South Lake and Louis. Demography is changing radically, but the the education system is not changing uh, within that proportion. And that, may, uh, that that concerns me a little bit.
0: I can see why you have that concern in that religions are very much a part of the cultural mm-hmm. aspect of mm-hmm. the different peoples throughout the world. And yes. to understand each other, right,
1: exactly. we
0: certainly have to understand much of where we come from exactly. and what our exactly. beliefs are and exactly. perhaps even our way of thinking so that we don't have tremendous misunderstandings that happen, I think, on a daily basis. You've been quoted or interviewed by many major news outlets, both print and media here in the United States and abroad. What types of articles and programs have you been involved in?
1: This last semester, I was on my first sabbatical, my faculty development leave, and uh, National Geographic channel, TV channel, contacted me that they are making this series called Story of God. The two seasons have already gone, Story of God. Program, that that series is narrated by Morgan Freeman, and he's also one of the key part, one of the major participants in the way he's telling the story of God, story of world religions, basically. He goes, travels to different places in the world and explores different aspects of different religious traditions, including pyramids and China and and, and Egypt, Jerusalem, and so on. So this new new season that is starting from April next month, they they want to show something about Jainism, which they have not shown yet. So they took me to Nepal. You're so
0: lucky! (laughs)
1: both thank you yeah both Morgan Freeman and I went to Nepal different in different flights probably he went in his own (laughs) charter, but I took uh, some cheap flight also to go to Nepal
0: (laughs) but you got to Nepal I got
1: to Nepal (laughs) and we both were inside this Jain temple for the entire day we both did rituals inside the Jain temple and he asked me questions about the rituals and what is Jainism's history what is Jain philosophy why Jains are vegetarians what is, why is nonviolence so important in Jainism? Mm. How nonviolence traveled all the way from Jainism to Mahatma Gandhi to Dr. Martin Luther King and how it influenced our civil rights movement right here in America. And nonviolence became such a big, big word, big philosophy in the entire movement. And so all those things we discussed
0: and it was fun. What mm-hmm. an important <laughs> conversation you yes, had. Yes. And it's being released in April. In
1: April. It's coming on National Geographic This Channel. April. This April. April 2019, it's coming your way, and it's called A Story of God, narrated by Morgan Freeman, produced and narrated by Morgan Freeman, and I will be in just one of the episodes that focuses on Jainism. That's
0: very exciting. I can't wait to see it.
1: Thank you. It was funny. He's such a, I found him very, very nice, humble man, just as he looks on the screen. Very, very nice person. Very
0: nice person. He comes across he comes just the way he simple, is. That's so, so nice very to hear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, not not at all like a big celebrity or no. He's very simple.
0: What very an simple. incredible series too! Yeah. I wasn't oh, aware I've of that. I've seen the entire
1: series. It's, it's a wonderful series. It's on. Uh, I think it's online available on Fox website because I think National Geographic is now owned by fox okay so, so they have shown all these episodes. wonderful
0: oh mm-hmm. i have to check into yeah, that that's, maybe see yeah, some yeah. back episodes before i see the most yes. important <laughs> one coming up in april Thank you. that's amazing yes. now what other types of things have you been involved in
1: yeah similarly history channel once you know once out of the blue they called me and they were writing a story on diwali what is diwali mm-hmm. so so they quoted me about the you know, my, you know the legends behind diwali why diwali celebrate such a big festival for Hindus across the world, Hindus, Jains, and Buddhists, and Sikhs. Uh, so if you combine, so we have in America, we have New Year Day, we have Thanksgiving, and we have Christmas. Right. right? These three big festivals, uh, big holidays. If you combine all these three things in one festival, that would be Diwali. For, oh, really? For so it's the start of a new Hindu year, according to Hindu calendar. It is also a family and friends event. We all come together, eat together, celebrate together, do little fireworks together. So it's giving thanks to the bounty of nature that we get from the nature and, and so on. So Diwali is now a part of the United Nations calendar also. So United Nations also is celebrating, White House celebrates Diwali for, really? for the last 15, 20 years. So uh, starting from our own president from Texas, George W. Bush, he started this tradition of celebrating Diwali inside the White House. And then, of course, President Obama continued it and President Trump also is celebrating it. That's wonderful. Every year, yes. I love to hear that. And uh, yeah, and United States Postal Services also released a stamp on Diwali, highlighting Diwali. And so, so the History Channel was interested, and yeah. uh, and so, so they contacted me, and that's how it, that happened.
0: That's wonderful. You're a very intelligent person and you know a lot of very helpful information. It's so wonderful you have these classes Thank you. to Thank get you. this knowledge out to people. I think it's just such a wonderful thing.
1: Thank you. We are professors for some reason, so we are supposed to know these basics about the courses that we teach.
0: Well, it's good to share it with the rest of us who don't know <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and need to know. Now, we all
1: have our own specialities and fields and sure, you know, we all have our expertise. And, yeah. and
0: Well, this is an important one. I think we're a bit fractured these days, so it's nice to learn things that bring us all together. Now, I read that you are co-founder of the American Academy of Indic Studies. What is that organization?
1: Yeah, this we started just a couple of years back. It's an international new academy or uh, scholarly organization where we started a a new journal also to highlight the research uh, from Indic perspective so india like many other parts of the world was colonized by the british for more than a couple of centuries mm-hmm. and much of the knowledge that we get outside of india is heavily colored or the lens is always still the colonial lens so how do we decolonize that knowledge and present true or better perspective or indic perspective on the on that knowledge that's the one of the main focus of that this new academy that i was one i am one of the co-founders and we, UNT was very helpful in providing uh, online space, uh, our library, UNT Library, where we also have this free open journal called American Journal of Index Studies where anybody can read articles for free online.
0: So they can either just go online or they yes. can go through the library at UNT? Through
1: our uh, UNT Library, yes. Uh, UNT Library has a, has a link uh, that maybe I can email you and you can share on the show notes. Oh, that
0: would be wonderful. Where, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, how
1: people can read these articles for free. So the second issue will be coming up this summer. Of our journal so we'll be also we'll be doing one first the first major conference uh, most likely in Ohio area Columbus Ohio mm-hmm. we, will, we will invite scholars from across the world and present papers on Indic categories of knowledge what is Ayurveda for example what is dharma how is dharma similar and different from religion idea of religion and dharma how they compare idea of yoga and meditation and vegetarianism and, and many other things that are related with Indic studies
0: Well, this has been so interesting and so fascinating, and I thank you so much. I know you have a very busy schedule, and I certainly appreciate you taking the time today to come in and talk to us about these things. Thank you very much, Dr. Jane. Thanks a
1: lot, Susan, and it was fun to talk to you. It was a lot of
0: fun. This has been Susan Supak at the Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with Dr. Pankaj Jane. Thanks so much for listening.